And welcome to Imagine Me and Eurekuma. I am Panda. I am your host. And I'm here with my co-host, Alice. How you doing, Alice? I am doing well. Today we are here yet again with our fill-in co-host, Cass. How are you, Cass? Hail and hearty. If you would like to know about Cass and her Eurekuma journey, her experience getting into Yurikuma Arashi, you can listen to our last episode, but this episode is about episode seven of Yurikuma, and it is called The Girl That I Forgot. That I Forgot. Oh man, this is gonna be a fun one. I didn't get a chance to pregame this one nearly as much as the previous episode, so I'm kind of excited to just dump in and watch together with you two. Oh boy, yeah, this episode gave me some feelings. So I'm very excited to talk about it. You guys want to go ahead and start just talking about this episode? Press that button. (laughs) Press that play button. Roll that beautiful bear footage. Roll that beautiful bean footage. (laughs) We begin, as usual, with the Kadokawa logo. And the Funimation logo. Oh, we're fading in. All right. So our opening narration appears to be a, the very end of the picture book from the previous episode. So it looks like this is a memory of Kureha's. And young Kureha asks her mother, after hearing her mother tell her that the uh, moon girl and the uh, the forest girl gave each other, sorry, the sky girl and the forest girl gave each other a promised kiss, you know, who the story is about. And her mother tells her. Why, it's about you and the girl who taught us about Kumaria, the girl you love. The which Kureha does not remember. We hated you from the beginning, and we loved you too. And so we wanted to become true friends with you. To cross the wall. Yurikuma! I love that right, it's exactly. like a, a mirror of Ginko's intro. Yup. And then, of course, we get... The opening, which we all love, and because Yasha and Bon are not here, they cannot complain about <laughs> the whispery quality of this opening sequence. Yasha and Vana are entitled to their opinions, but also th- this opening slaps, and if you don't like French and Japanese whispering about, you know, how much someone is into you, then frankly, uh, we can still be friends, but I don't get it. <laughs> It's just so good. I love it so much. This opening, really, like... It's very good. Oh, it's so good. Oh, every time that we get to the shot where Kinko and Kareha almost kiss in the opening, I'm like, come on! It's so cute. I know. I would actually... I'm gonna pause it right here. Yeah. I would like to talk a little bit because I don't feel like we've really talked about it in this show about like nudity in anime in Japanese cartoons like it's easy to 
come to the conclusion and you're not wrong for coming to the conclusion that like the Yurikuma opening is maybe for like the enjoyment of people that maybe are sexually attracted to younger women but I also like there's this element of in Japanese culture, the idea of naked bodies, and especially the naked bodies of young girls, can be, it doesn't have to be a sexual thing. It can be like an innocence type thing. And while I do acquiesce that, like, the opening of Yurikuma is probably, like, winking and nodding at men who are interested in the idea of like young girls being sexual with each other like there's a part of me that sees this like opening sequence of Yurikuma and does not feel like I don't know dirty about it like I think I think a better flip on that because they're just these girls dude I think what really actually sells this opening to me and the purpose of the nudity in the opening is the nudity actually, if you kind of like pay attention, comes in two places. Mm. It comes in a particular shot that I have my own interpretation of and that I will get to contextualizing if we get later into the series. I would love to have you on later in the series when we get to certain stuff like that. Yeah, because there, it requires me to spoil something that will happen in a future episode to contextualize it. It's the shot toward the, uh, not the beginning, about the transition point to the middle of it where we see Kareha in the bathtub and there are two people pouring honey down on her. Yeah. Yeah, there is a very specific meaning of that shot. Mm Mm-hmm. At least to me, uh, yeah. because of who is pouring that honey. Okay. But later into the the opening, two things to note. So first, a lot of the most aggressive shots of nudity favor the characters' backs, mm-hmm. uh, which is useful for a couple of reasons. One of them is that you get around broadcasting standards and practices, and the second is it allows the gaze of the characters to be firmly kind of fixed on each other. Yeah. So these girls are very clearly, to an extent, naked for their own sake and no one else's, which kind of sells the fact that this show, even if it's a little silly and sexually charged, is silly and sexually charged because it's about the dumbest teenager (laughs) with the biggest crush, Ginkgo. She really is. And... You know, it's kind of fitting that that's going on there. And about, ultimately, like, the kind of affection and and relationship that develops between her and Kureha and, to an extent, Lulu. Mm -hmm. And the second reason, timing there is, um, a lot of it happens after the approval sequence. Mm -hmm. Which is just the thing in the show that happens that's literally synecdoche for... You're allowed to exist in this world as a lesbian because a patriarchal power structure approved you. So, literally, in that shot, in that sequence of shots, you could argue that's why they are, you know, naked. That's what's going on. The opening is framing this in the same way the series does as being 
the reason this these moments have to look like this is this is the only way society will allow people who are like this to express themselves without excluding or hurting them. Yeah. So I think that's that's my argument. I don't really think there's a lot of nudity in this opening that's meant to communicate innocence, but I do think what is there is meant to communicate both the intensity of the characters' feelings for each other and also subtly kind of hint toward the dynamics of power within the story. When I say innocence, what I'm really referring to is... When you see, like, a Sailor Moon transformation sequence, you're not really looking at that in, or you're not supposed to be thinking of that in, like, a a sexualized manner. Like, that's just, like, she's just changing outfit and doing so in a very, like, dramatic way, basically. Like, so I, because in anime and in Japanese culture, like, nudity doesn't necessarily mean like sexual interest even though that's a thorny topic on its own like i i try not to assume that seeing naked bodies in anime means that they are like that it's in a horny setting you know oh absolutely i just also think that in this particular opening's case it is definitely a horny setting. <laughs> it's not in the same kind of horny setting. It's a horny setting that retains the personhood of all of the characters. Yeah. Which is, I think, the big the big difference. I, I would like to, if, if I can get a word in here, I would like of to course. say oh, that, yeah, yeah. like, we really easily forget, and probably should not be easily forgetting, that, like, Japanese culture has a lot of things that ours kind of doesn't. And one of those happens to be that stuff like um, public baths is a public bathing and, like, that's very much not a thing that we have in the same way. And, like, I I feel like that comes into play here. Yeah. That there is how how to read nakedness is just kind of different. When you see Lulu and Kareha and even Ginko in this show, whenever they are unclothed, let's say, they you don't see like their nipples, you don't see like their vulvas, like you see a very like idealized version of family friendly, quote unquote, version of Yeah. You can also see it, um, a lot of those points, the shots that are used for the characters, again, will be favoring uh, shots from the back mm-hmm. yeah. or shots that are obscured by light. Oh, 100%. Uh, especially in the transformation sequences. Shots, uh, my favorite example of undress is actually from last episode, episode six. The shots of Sumeria and Koreha, where the two of them are kind of cower- cuddling under blankets because they're soaked to the bone. Mm-hmm. And they are definitely, at least in their underwear, under those blankets, they almost all favor bare shoulders and heads. Yes. You can tell that they're not wearing a ton under the blanket, but while you're given that information, you're not really given a lot of means to, or presumed to have the desire to, take the blanket away from them, if that makes sense. Like, yeah. You, you don't feel like, and at any moment now, the scene is going to transition to, like, a gust of wind blowing the blanket away, and oh dear, you know, there there is some partial and or full nudity. It's Exactly. 
it's intimate without be it's a moment of intimacy between the characters without being necessarily framed erotically yeah yeah i i i think the way yuri kuma moves between framing things erotically and choosing not to frame them erotically is kind of a really interesting uh rabbit hole to go down but <laughs> we should probably let the episode speak for itself before we go too far down. no definitely <laughs> yeah all right so we have a shot of uh, speaking of shots of characters that are nude with uh stuff obscured right this is oh gosh what's her name this is uh invisible storm girl <laughs> Oh, hold on. I I knew her name last episode. So, so did I, and I've lost it. I failed. Kaoru. Kaoru, thank you. Her surname is, or not her surname, but her given name is Kaoru. So this is Kaoru, kind of the ringleader of the Invisible Storm. Yeah. Professing love to someone else who is in bed with her, and they are both covered in dark, almost purple-red sheets. And there are white sheets hanging in the room around them. And the silhouette of the person under those turned into a bear, and we got a Kuma shock, and cut to black. Unfortunately, I know who that is now. Yep. Oh, now Lulu's making porridge, and she's singing a little song. She's making honey porridge. Yep, and we can see that she and uh, Ginko have their mugs set up next to Kareha's. Mm-hmm. Which is really cute. And I want I want mugs like that. I love it. Alice, we should get mugs like that. We should. Uh, Ginko's not doing great, though. Well, this is a flashback. Yep, we are getting a flashback to Ginko getting the... So Kuriha, it looks like, has been nursing Ginko all night. Sumika, not Sumeria. Why do I call him Sumeria? <laughs> Spoilers. Ginko has recovered, and she is staring intently into Kuriha's eyes while holding her hand. She says, I will tell you my love. Huh? Uh, and there we get one of the- Oh my! There we get Ginko one of the few definitely erotically framed shots. <laughs> yes. And just this shirt. Like, very, very Which is emphasized. She's quoting words from the storybook, and Kareha it doesn't understand how she knows things that could be in the storybook. Yep. We're getting a sequence of imagination here. Ginko reiterates that Korea has a delicious smell, and she is encouraging her to search for what she hopes for. Oh <laughs> my. Um, what is she doing, Cass? <laughs> um, they are floating in space, covered in pink ribbon, as they pose just on the verge of kissing in a variety of ways, including breast to breast. We have achieved symmetrical docking. <laughs> and they almost kiss. And then a star necklace falls to the floor. And it's kind of implied that uh, what just happened there was a dream. All of it, including the bit where Ginko was on top of Kureha, <laughs> was an erotic dream Kureha was having, which would explain a lot. And Kureha is not happy that she was having this dream. Guys, I think Kureha might be gay. Just a little bit. <laughs> Lulu is like, what the fuck? And Kureha is like... Please watch Ginko, okay? She's really sweating. <laughs> watch over Ginko. She's really sweaty. Yeah, Kureha. Yeah. Why would you dream that, Kureha? <laughs> Kureha is also experiencing 
flashbacks, audio flashbacks only, to her mother talking to her about teaching a special friend a love song, which Kareha says, she's my special friend, so it's an exception. Apparently that love song isn't something she would tell just everyone. And she's suddenly realized she doesn't remember who she was talking about before. Dun dun dun. She did have a friend long ago. Who is she? Gee, I wonder. (laughs) We get a shot of high school girls from the legs up, all bare legs and thigh socks. And not even, yeah, fully thigh-high socks. I really like this shot because, like, it is- Intentionally cropping out everyone's face. It is, it's sort of dehumanizing, but- to the people that are, like, spreading these rumors. And it also kind of emphasizes, I think, because they're all in in or around the school, what this school turns these girls effectively into. Yeah. Kureha is talking to, uh, what's-her-name, the principal, who says that there is another bear in the academy. And she mentions that the bears took the proof of their love, the star pendant, from Kureha's mother. And reiterates that the bear who has that pendant is their mortal enemy. And Kureha states she will absolutely kill whoever has it. Kureha asks the principal about her old friend. Who the principal is not really forthcoming about. We called her her. Her. (laughs) She was in love with Kureha's mom. And she does not seem very forthcoming about information regarding... Kareha's friend. Uh, pr- the principal does say that Kareha's mom, shortly before her death, mentioned that Kareha's mother had said something about Kareha forgetting her friend. And she confirms that Kareha was one of the girls in the picture book her mom was working on. And that her friend was the other girl. Basically. Yep. There is a snow cone maker shaped like Life Sexy's bear form. And Lulu uses it to make nothing but elaborate shaved ices for poor, <laughs> feverish Ginkgo. She also says growl sniffle, by the way, because she's sad. Gow gow, but sad. Kumaria is love. She is the world's mother and the one who approves all living things and gives them love. Oh, we're getting it. We're getting a flashback to Ginkgo as a little abandoned cub. The cub who appeared on the day of the silvery blizzard was named Ginkgo. The little, the, where we see, like, the orb with, like, the star on top, it reminds me a lot of the Holy Grail from Sailor Moon. Also, uh, Ginkgo used to have a little crown. Yeah, on her bear form, and they called her the Lone Wolfsbane. Yep, and a bunch of other bears bullied her, at which point Ginkgo just beat the crap out of them, presumably, because we- yeah, she did. She kuma shocked him. They're like this is all. This always feels like a samurai movie parody. Kinko the little. She sees bay, now. Like, this world is ruled bodies. by power. <laughs> no one is kind to the weak. It's a doggy dog buried salmon world. I love her. And then in the middle of her monologue, like um, all the all the other kids get called home for dinner and just yeah. leave and stop epically. Stop being the uh, posing victims in the background. <laughs> I know. Also, they're all named like Bear plus something else. So, like one of them is in Kumargret. Kumakar. I love Kumargret. And Ginko is, despite saying like, "Oh, you, it's only the strong who get by." Notably, kind of put out by this because mm-hmm. 
she doesn't have a family or anyone to go home to. Bear Cubs and Ginko's situation were gathered by the Superior Lady Kumaster, who I assume is... Ba- yep, it's the Bear Pope. Bear Pope! Bear Pope! Who announces that all of these unwanted bears will now be given a chance for approval. In this world, only one needs you and gives you approval. Lady Kumaria! Basically, only God, God is the only one who wants you. From this day forward, you are Kumaria's cubs. You shall be the guard bears of the boundary between bears and humans. So Ginkgo was basically conscripted into the army by the Pope as a child and told to exterminate any humans that came near the border. This is also where we get some of the most inexplicable scenes in this entire thing of <laughs> girls dressed in World War II gear fighting bears with spears. And it's just very weird. Also, there's a tank shaped like a bear. <laughs> we have sub- bear submarines. I really Ow! love... And the bears keep winning. One thing that I think is really interesting is the fact that, like, they keep... Oh dear, the bears are bombed. They keep doing this, like, everybody kills the bears, and every time, no matter, like, how the how the person looks before the bears attack, like... Once it is bear attack time, like, everyone is shown as, like, a a sexy it's lady. It's basically a Bond girl pose with, like, a little uh, fountain presumed to be blood coming up from her She her looks like a... It looks like something you'd spray paint on the side of a Yes, band. that was literally exactly what I was thinking, Alice, was, like, something that you would spray paint on, like, a van, like, is the, the pose that the... I don't want to say woman, the the person is doing, but it's just, it's a lot. Yeah, and I do think it's fair to say woman, because this show is very, very deliberate about yeah. gendered silhouette. Also, ha, huh, the bears, the bears get- The bears got phone. bombed! And then, of course, we see the aftermath, which looks like something out of a movie about, like, Stalingrad, with all these fucking tanks everywhere, and it doesn't make any goddamn sense. There's a katana. Girls' Last Tour is about as uh, dark as you remember, Alice. <laughs> oh my god! It does kind of look like it's everything from Girls' Last Tour! Yup. Also, uh, Ginkgo got sniped by someone who had survived the bombing. Oh no. While praying to Lady Kumaria to grant her love. And now we uh, transition to back to Kureha's house, where Kureha is reading the picture book again confirming that the forest girl is the girl she's forgotten. And Lulu comes in with a little uh, wash basin to welcome her home. Because Lulu's the best. And asks about the book. And asks if she can read the book. Kareha warns her it doesn't have an ending. And that her mom died before it could be finished. And was killed by a bear. Lulu's face? Lulu's Lulu's face is so good. She's just destroyed. Lulu's face is, she is so distraught. She's like, oh no. (laughs) Ginko fucking loves you. And Kuriha goes like, why? We only just met, right? I haven't done anything for you. She's basically saying like, you shouldn't have gotten hurt protecting me. I should have been the one to get hurt if anyone. Which is a very Kuriha thing to say. Okay, I'm gonna, I'm gonna pause here because this whole episode, this whole damn episode, I was like, just kiss her, you idiot. Like, 
This whole time, I was like, please, Kareha, just kiss Ginko and you will summon her back to life. And I'm going to say that before we get to what's about to happen, which is right. All right. We got a kissy girl playing as Kareha looks down at Ginko, who returns to the flashback to girls last tour. We have a flashback to the bear war, which we've seen before. Yep, and everyone except Ginko is dead. Ginko is somehow alive. Ginko is laid out in the snow, and all the other survivors are like, we can just exclude her. Like, yep, she's just an orphan. Like, no, who gives a fuck? Yeah, notably, like, this language is intentionally weird. Like, I have never in my life, and I've, I don't know much Japanese, but I've watched a ton of anime, and... specifically watched a ton of military sci-fi anime i've never heard someone use the word haijo which is the word they're using for exclude here to mean let's leave someone let's leave a survivor behind Mm -hmm. like it's not the typical word you'd hear but it is the word the invisible storm says to people yeah you know it's it's the word it's the term they use to talk about getting rid of evil and a young kureha has found the injured Ginko and is tending to her wounds Simple and baby. tells her that she loves her. And Ginko recovers, looking directly at Kareha, who asks her, who asks Ginko what she knows about the storybook. Ginko grabs her hand and it flashes. And Kareha to... remembers her dream. It flashes to the moment where Ginko and Kareha are like about to smooch. Look at those blushies. Yeah, I I do think it's really interesting here that, like, throughout this episode, even though they're obviously a lot closer, Kureha still does not refer to Ginko or Lulu by their first name, even once. She calls them by their surnames, which is a lot more formal. And Kureha remembers drinking honey ginger milk with a little bear friend that her mom made for them. I bet you that would be great. Lulu cooking the same thing. Probably would be. She says she remembered something. That she drank the honey ginger milk here a long time ago. Hmm. Lulu realized she's remembering. She'd forgotten how that felt. But she was happy. She mentioned, and Lulu mentions, that honey ginger milk is is Ginkgo's love flavor. The flavor that tells her that she's not alone in the world. It's like a love language, but you eat it. Which is very (laughs) bear-like. Not untrue. But I haven't added the honey to finish it yet. And she goes <laughs> off to get it. How could I forget about a friend I care about so much, says Kareha. She loved her so much, but Lulu intentionally did this and she gloats to herself about it. <laughs> she did. You did a clever thing, Lulu. You actually are clever. And she's looking at the picture book and has a flashback and realizes Ginko had only just realized who the moon girl was in that book and begins reading it. Ginko leaves her bed and she's coming downstairs. We're getting quotes from the book as Kureha does a very lo-fi anime pose against the table. She goes up to check on Ginko, who isn't there anymore, and goes to her bedroom, which is still empty, checks on the stairs, and sees that the front door is open. Dun-dun-dun! And Ginko is standing out on the porch without any pants on. She sure is. She's singing. Oh. And Kureha goes out to meet her. Uh, 
Apparently, this tune is one that her mom knew. It was yep. the song that showed that they love each other. And the two of them stare at each other, framed by the moonlight. Is your love as the Lulu real continues thing? To re- and Kureha has remembered. You're my friend, aren't you? You're her. The girl and... that I forgot is the episode yep. title. Ah! <laughs> I forgot how shameless this this ending card is. <laughs> we get a new oh ending card. God. It starts off and it's Lulu and she's like washing Ginkgo's hair in the bath. And then through the course of the ending sequence, we see Kareha also in the bath. And she's, like, washing her own hair. So there's, like, two or three million things going on here. And I just want to stress a bunch of them that jump into my head at high speed. Okay, so first, washing someone's hair is a common familial bathing thing in Japan. Yes, I've noticed that in, like, anime and manga. Yeah, it is usually a thing that a parent or older sibling does for a younger sibling. Uh Uh-huh. And, like, as you can see, this is, like, a Japanese bathroom. Like, you can see the shower nozzle there, and they're in the bath. Uh, typically, you you shower to actually get the dirt off you and spray it off really quickly, and then you relax in the bathtub for a while. It's essentially... I've heard people explain it as, like, a mini purification ritual. What I find really funny about this is... One, it's the most intimate that Kureha has ever been in a shot like this with the other girls. Oh! Oh, we had to pause real quick. Oh, I'm yes. sorry. No, no, yeah. no, 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 you're good. Yeah. Um, two, Ginkgo is like really, really reserved in it. Almost all of her is hidden. Uh, you can't mm. see a ton of her face because of the soap suds, and she's shrinking back into the bathtub mm-hmm. like she's embarrassed. And three, while the ritual of like bathing someone's head is incredibly familial, it's really funny to me that Lulu, who is bathing Ginkgo's head, is wearing an intentionally kind of overly sexy outfit including a <laughs> bikini style bra and like what looks like a latex mini skirt right can't you just be that way which kind of like weirdly enough sums up their relationship where lulu obviously wishes she could be closer to ginkgo but knows she can't be mm-hmm. and channels that feeling through being excessively sexual and or flirty around ginkgo in a way that, while not technically breaking any boundaries, kind of very obviously signals she would really rather be a lot co- closer mm-hmm. with her than she is. Alternatively, you could just screen cap Lulu and just, <laughs> like, caption it, found a new type of guy. <laughs> Every, everything that she does fits that kind of tweet. Like, she, she just like that. I feel like she would do that anyway. Because she's just... She just she just be like that. She's Lulu is definitely the character who would be going on this list for most likely to own exactly that outfit for her own purposes and no one else's. Yes. Uh, oh my gosh. Yeah, I I also do like that, again, there is this time, there's still a separation from Kareha in that, as with all of the, I think like all the end cards, there's a level of like, Kareha is the one who's a little bit separated out with the Winter Scarf end card, she's the one who seems the least kind of like... she She's participating, but she kind of seems a little bit embarrassed and shy about it. In this one, she's a lot more confident, but she's also notably taking care of her own grooming. She's participating, but she's also kind of self-sufficient. 
So she's getting closer to them, but the the divide has not completely been been bridged yet. I don't know. Maybe I'm overreading there, but I, I like. I don't it. think I, so. I, it's also just a really cute little. It's also just a really cute little piece of art. Okay, that was all of my things. I'm sorry I babbled so long. No, dude, please babble. Um, would we like to? Shall we? Uh, click yeah, go let's, let's on. See, let's see the spoiler thing on this post episode sequence. So a note has been passed under the door to Lulu, and it is a ransom note to the criminal to bear. To the criminal bear. Ginko Yurishiro, I know the grave crime you committed. You are... And she stops reading and says, Ginko, this can't be. Kuma shock! What terrible crimes have you committed? Well, she is a criminal bear. We have been told many, many times that she is a criminal bear. Mm-hmm. So, uh... I liked this episode a lot. I mean, yep. it was it was like 30, maybe 35% like daydream. That's Yuri Kuma. I don't want to say I enjoyed getting Ginko backstory because like her backstory is really sad, but I yeah. it like I appreciate getting to know parts of her backstory that we had not gotten to know yet and i don't know like i can kind of understand why people have described this series as not having as good solid character development as maybe other igahara series but like i feel like the characters of yurikuma have been pretty well established and I really... They have. All of those people are wrong. You don't have to justify their bad opinions. I like the characters of Yuri Kuma, and I've enjoyed getting to know more about them. So, like, I've been having a good time with this show. Partially, I think that might come for the fact that, like, with, like, say, like, uh, Utsuna, you cannot get this character... And, like, you need, like, multiple looks in on a character for a lot of the main cast. Sure. Because there's so much layers of weird shit here. <laughs> and even then you don't really know. Whereas, like, with Yurikuma, these characters, it's not that they are simplistic, but they are a lot more simple in that yeah. the story is not built on them having a million twists in the road of their character. Like, yeah. Ginko loves Kuriha. They knew each other as children. That there's not like a that doesn't secretly mean something else. It's like yeah, she's not gonna re- realize later that she remembered wrong. Actually, they were both bears or something. Like <laughs> it, it, something a lot more of Yurikuma is just what it says it is. My big thing with Yurikuma right now is realizing that everybody is a fucking bear, <laughs> like. We don't have to necessarily reveal who was having an intimate moment with with Kaoru, Ka- but like I know at this point, and I know that she is a bear, and that gives me a certain amount of stress. But I'm not gonna <laughs> I'm not gonna reveal that yet until we get there. Yeah. I mean, there's. I also know who that is because I've seen the series. Well, I haven't. Once, but I, I haven't seen the whole series. But given things that we have been alerted to before, and then her revealing herself to be a bear in this episode, 
a lot of stress for your girl. Yeah. And, again, like, there's... A lot of the show is built around... I think what a lot of people miss about the layering in Yurikuma is... I think it is actually just as elaborate in a lot of ways. It's just... This was one of... A of all... This is one of Ikuhara's series with a shorter runtime. He had 12 episodes to tell this story, and... Yeah, you're not gonna get as much, you know... Say what you will about what the Black Rose arc is necessary to tell Utena's story. I think it is, but... It is. It's actually you know, the best part. Yeah, like, you cannot... You can't do a Black Rose arc in 12 episodes. It was a lot easier to make an anime like Utena in 1998 than it was to make an anime like Yuri Kuma in 2015. Exactly. And... You know, more than that, like, you know, this is working on, obviously, a very uh, limited crunch of episodes, mm-hmm. and, you know, Ikuhara is, as far as I can tell, he's not working with, like, the same collaborators he's always been working with. Yeah. He made this series in association with Silverlink, and I do not know, unfortunately, a lot of the other key animation personnel who worked on Yurikuma. I don't really either, unfortunately. Yeah, and that's so that's something to research for next time. And, you know, you're going to get differences in storytelling between, like, how many episodes is Udna? 36 or so? It between is 36, 39 specifically. Thir- 39, yeah. Between, you're going to get a lot of difference between a 39 episode and 12 episode. Oh, show. 100%. Yeah, and, like, even Sarazanmai, which I think is probably a better comparison for this kind of show, you know, Sarazanmai's storytelling is honestly pretty similar. It even has the same twist of we used to be friends. Well, we used to be friends is a big thing in, it's part of Ikuhara's tool base. Like there's the, in Sarazanmai, there's the bit of like Toei throwing out his Misanga and, Kazuki being the person who picks it up. But, like, you know, post Utena in 2011, there was Penguin Drum, and Penguin Drum also has, like, the childhood versus adulthood sort of dynamic. Yeah. Yeah. And that is, you know, that is the thing. Mm. Like, I really do love, I love Yurikuma a lot. I think that's that's very obvious. Yeah. I'm very besotted with this show. It means a lot to me. And I can understand if, like, you were coming to the show expecting Utena and you didn't get that. Yeah. Being disappointed. But I encourage anyone who feels that way to to kind of come to Yurikuma as its own animal. Yeah, like, I feel like, unfortunately, when you're gonna approach an Ikuhara anime, you have to meet it where it is and that's not always gonna be where Utena was Utena is its own beast and you have to treat pretty much like you have to treat Utena and Penguin Drum and Yurikuma and Sarah's and my all as their own independent works even if they are like in conversation with each other which I do think they are and I think that there's a lot to talk about there. I think, like, as a first experience, you can't 
expect one to fulfill any expectations set by the other. Agreed. Like, it, coming to Yurikuma and expecting... This is a show that came about because Ikuhara wanted to make kind of a, a love story, and I think it's pretty fitting that, in some ways, the ways that the central characters relate to each other are a lot more straightforward. Mm-hmm. And complicated more by external factors than by their internal conflicts. Because, you know, first of all, that's sort of the point of Yuri Kuba. It is a show very concerned about the way society inserts itself into the love mm-hmm. held by individuals. And B of all, <laughs> while, we're, while we're there, it's a love story this is love story tropes. The guy wanted to do that. Let mm-hmm. him do that and appreciate it for what it is. Let this show be the weird Shakespearean romantic comedy. Absolutely. It wants to be. I also use the word Shakespearean here because Yuri Kuma more than once relies on coincidence. Sure. To uh, bring storytelling forward. And that is a super Shakespearean plot. Device. Yes. If you like Midsummer Night's Dream, you're probably going to like Yuri Kuma. There's a lot to love in Yurikuma, and I understand that it is, like, probably the least liked of Ikuhara's work, and in many ways, having dabbled in pretty much, like, I haven't seen all of Penguin Drum, but dabbling in all of the facets of Ikuni's work, I can kind of understand why... Yurikuma might not be, like, people's favorite. That doesn't mean that there's not stuff here. That doesn't mean that there's not, like, places to delve into it and, like, get meaning out of it. It just means that it's, like, it's different. And, you know, maybe the characters aren't as strong as the characters in Utena or Penguin Drum or Sarazamai. the characters in Yurikuma are still good and they're still like they have worth in understanding and I hope that people give Yurikuma a chance. I know that I'm not done with it yet, but like I hope people give Yurikuma a chance. All we are saying is give peace and there's a chance. Alice, your thoughts? Give peace and bears a chance. That's what I'm gonna name this episode. <laughs> Alice? Alice? Hello? Do you have things to say? I'm sorry I talked over you. I liked the bears. Yay! (laughs) (laughs) Um, This is actually one of my favorites. It's weird because it's one of my favorites, but it's also one of the ones that's hard for me to talk about because a lot of what I like about it is stuff where there's not like I'm not digging in and analyzing or following what's being said. It's really just the visual aspect of it. Mm-hmm. Her, the visual, and of course the sound as well. Like, the inexplicably World War II action scene in the middle of the fucking Urukuma <laughs> is pretty great. I, I love that there's this, like, for inexplicably the bears have, like, they're just like all the, like, I don't know. I, I like I like that, but what I like more than that is the bit towards the end where we get um, Ginko um, singing on the balcony yeah. because 
that kind of co- shot composition is what I expect from an Ikahari anime. I expect that kind of thing, that kind of, the kind of composition. Yeah. Because that's what he's really good at. At the end of the day, what makes Ikahari good is not the weird shit, though that also makes him good. It's that kind of stuff. It's his ability to ensure that shots are framed in such a way that they just are arresting. And I don't know, I'm just really grateful that um, I could see it again. Yeah! I've had a great experience watching this episode with the both of you. Well, thank you. Yeah! Also, definitely, this is actually, um, when I was first watching through this, I remember being distinctly uncomfortable with some of the, for my own reasons, some of the more horny elements of the episodes before this. This is the one where I first had, like, it was completely comfortable. Even though, like, you had the whole weird dream sequence thing, it didn't really it didn't really make me squirm because every single ounce of the eroticism of this episode is totally earned. Yeah. And it just, it, it, it is so perfect. This is probably where, to me, this, visually speaking, this is one of the most perfect ones uh, in the series. I can agree with that. I don't think we'll get better than this visually and um, sound-wise, but we will definitely get to about this point again. That kind of, that feels very, like, when I think of, like, the quote-unquote horny elements of this series... Quote, unquote. Okay, hold on. Some people have said, have claimed that the bear show has horny in it. Let me... (laughs) We go live to our debate chair. (laughs) Let me kind of explain what I mean. I can recognize that those things can be viewed in a sexual way, but when I look at them, that's not what I think of. So that's that's what I mean when I say, quote, unquote, horny, is because... Most of the stuff in Yuri Kuma is just like, it's cute and it makes me feel like warm and fuzzy inside sometimes, kind of, but not in like a horny way. No, honestly, like, I get that. I think a lot of my early reaction to Yuri Kuma was shaped around, I, I wouldn't want to say sort of, I wouldn't want to call it like sex repulsed, but kind of a general. I, I've joked before that the reason Alice kind of favors, um, <clears throat> What's the same? Utena and I favor Yurikuma is Alice is very ace and I'm very not. <laughs> <laughs> I don't so think, yeah. I mean, to, to, to stress, that is my joke. I do not think Alice sees it that way. <laughs> so yeah, this episode, I enjoyed this episode. It was a nice, like, the last episode was very, it indulged in a lot of the, like, fairy tale story elements of Yurikuma. This episode kind of brought those elements into the real world where the story is happening and I enjoy that. So, um, yeah, like I'm having a good time. We we are officially like over halfway now because it is a 12 episode series and we are on episode 7. So, I am eager to find out what the rest of this series holds. Oh, honey. I know. Honey, you got a big storm coming. Honey, I got a big (laughs) storm coming. I know that I don't even know. (laughs) 
<laughs> I'm I'm very excited. I'm enjoying Yuri Kuma way more than I thought I was going to initially, which I didn't think I was going to dislike it, but I just I didn't anticipate enjoying it this much. So, yeah. We are having a good time and I'm very excited to finish up. I don't know. I don't know when Yasha and Vana are going to be back. Hopefully the next episode that they will, I will just have all of us and that way we can transition smoothly into having them back on the show. It'll be excellent because Yasha and Vana actually do translation work. So, uh, I can, I will no longer rely on my weeb knowledge and I can default to someone who actually speaks Japanese. Well, they... Most of their Japanese knowledge is because of Utena, but, like, I have a feeling that with our powers combined, they can understand some things. (laughs) Alright, so, we are here at the end of the show. We should wrap up, probably. Cass, do you have anything else that you would like to share? Oh, I always have one thing to share. Yes. Uh, Please listen to uh, Alice's and my podcast. Yeah! We are a giant robot slash real robot podcast, but right now we are basically a Gundam podcast and will be for the foreseeable future. For the foreseeable uh, future, but not for always. We, we reserve the right to spend an entire, like, 12 episodes talking about Battletech or something. You reserve the right uh, to do anything. It's your podcast. I can do what I want and no one can stop me, not even God. Nope. <laughs> On that note, you can find us at SteppyCast on Twitter. That is S-T-E-P-P-Y-C-A-S-T. Yeah! If you would like to follow this show on Twitter, you can do that at UtenaCast. Because whether we talk about Utena or Yurikuma or Penguin Drum, we will always be UtenaCast because we will never forget our roots. And also, we continue to do episodes about Utena occasionally. (laughs) I have two of those in the tank that we have not put out yet. Uh, If you would like to follow me on Twitter, you can do that at Impandanata. And if you would like to follow my wonderful co-host, Alice. Alice, where can people find you? Alice's audio glitched out here, but if you would like to follow her on Twitter, you can do that at Lyrewolf, which is L-Y-R-E-W-U-L-F. If you would like to follow us on Tumblr, where I occasionally reblog Utena and related fan art, you can find that on imaginemeneutena.tumblr.com and if you would like to email us you can do that at imaginemeneutena at gmail.com and if you would like to support this show you can find us on patreon our patreon link is pretty much anywhere you can find us on the internet so just like hit up the twitter it's there the the patreon link is everywhere you can find it And that is the best way to support this show. But the show will always be free to download and listen to, no matter whether you support or not. So that's us. Gow, gow. (laughs) Gow, gow. I'll sync that up so that Kath and I are saying that together and Alice is not saying anything. (laughs) Look for the...